everyone. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Assistant General Secretary and the host of this show. The 25th of November kicks off the United Nations 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence. Gendered violence continues to be a major issue in Australian society. On average, one woman a week is killed by a partner, ex-partner or family member in our country, and many more face domestic and family violence on a daily basis. Today, I'm joined by the Australian Services Union's Secretary, Natalie Lang, to talk about this crisis and how the union movement is working towards alleviating this scourge from our society. Welcome to the show, Nat. Thanks so much for having me, Shay. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Like I was saying earlier, I've really been looking forward to this, so I'm keen for us to have a great chat. Um, So can you start off first by telling me a bit about yourself and your role at the ASU? Uh, My name's Natalie and I'm the Branch Secretary of the Australian Services Union in New South Wales and the ACT, which means I have the great privilege of getting to work with our members across a whole variety of industries that our members work in. So I work with members who are working in water utilities, in transport, in airlines, shipping, travel information technology, uh, but the largest area of our membership are workers on the front line working in community and disability services, including frontline women's and family violence services. So I work with them on their industrial priorities and campaign priorities, and it's just a real pleasure to get to have that job. Awesome. And so can I ask, you know, what what's made you such a fierce activist in this space? Is it because it's so kind of front and centre for your members? Or is it something that, you know, were you in, did you come from an environment where you were working in this sector before you were, you know, living a life at the ASU? How did you come to be kind of, I, I suppose my perspective is you're known as being so passionate in this space. Oh, thank you, Shay. Um, I always start whenever I'm um, speaking at events or whether it's a union rally, May Day, um, union meetings, and I always start by um, noting that I'm a proud trade unionist and I'm a proud feminist. And I don't think you can unlink those two principles that are at their core about equity and achieving equity um, for all workers and for women in society. So certainly that's part of um, who I am and the perspective that I bring to my life and and to the work that I do. But the reason that family violence and um, the campaign, We Won't Wait campaign for paid family violence leave is such a core focus of the Australian Services Union is because our members work in frontline family violence services. And they told us that um, from an industrial perspective, for them to be able to do their work uh, to the best of their ability, they need to know that the women they're supporting have financial independence, they have financial security, that their employment isn't at risk when they are attending safety planning discussions or accessing women's services. And so for our workers, um, our members, this is essential for them to be able to do their jobs to the best of their ability. And that's why it's been such a key focus of the Australian Services Union. And I'm really proud that we're a part of a united movement that's been able to adopt this priority across all industries and across all affiliated trade unions. Oh, that's excellent. Thank you. So I suppose like your members, our members of nurses and midwives are often at the forefront of seeing family domestic violence victims um, and survivors. What are some of the things that they should be looking out for? Many of them will be across it, particularly if they work in areas where it's frequent. But, you know, in some of the work that we do, it's not common. Um, And 
it's, you know, it's something that you might suspect, but you're not quite sure what to look for. What do you think they should be keeping an eye out for? Well, in preparation for today's discussion, I spoke with some of our members working in frontline family violence services. And I told them about um, the wonderful work that nurses and midwives and aged care workers do and said, in that capacity, what are some of the red flags um, that AN, uh, Australian Nurses and Midwives Association members should be looking for? And some of the red flags that they suggested we talk about today, um, I'll go through now. Um, so our members talked about the frequency with which the partner would be present at appointments. So if a woman is presenting for an appointment with her midwife or with her health practitioner and the partner is always there and it makes it difficult for the woman to be able to um, seek time with her medical practitioner alone, that's one thing that might present as a red flag. Another red flag that is quite common from our members' perspective is women who frequently are missing appointments. They might be missing appointments because of uh, control that's being exerted over them, so they're, they're unable to physically get to the appointment, or they might be missing appointments because they have injuries that they don't want to have seen by the, um, by the nurse or the midwife or the aged care worker that they are visiting with. Um, so if women are frequently missing appointments, that's another red flag that your members could be looking out for. Um, having injuries that you wouldn't expect to see so that might be injuries like bruising around the inner thighs or um, fingerprints uh, that are on the skull behind the ears that could indicate strangulations occurring. Those kind of injuries that you wouldn't expect to see in a woman that you're um, consulting with, those can also present as red flags. Um, a woman might seem particularly stressed or distressed with no obvious reason. That's another red flag to look out for. Um, or, or if a woman is consulting with a midwife, she might seem... Um, ambivalent to the pregnancy or having a baby. Again, that may be a red flag. We know that for many women, they may experience family violence for the first time, or certainly a escalation in that violence at the time of pregnancy or the birth of a baby. So um, that can indicate, uh, that be shown through the ambivalence that a woman is showing towards her, her pregnancy or, or the birth, uh, impending birth of her baby. Uh, another red flag to look out for is women who are telling you that they feel that they don't have any support. So if uh, your members see those red flags, um, then they should be uh, firstly trying to be alert to that. And if that's occurring, we know that New South Wales Health does have some um, very sound domestic violence safety assessment tools that your members can use to assist them to assess the risk that the woman they're supporting is uh, experiencing um, and, and look for a high score that might indicate a high severity of risk. Can I ask as well, if our members are interacting with people and they're just after some, maybe some personal support or additional advice, do you know if there's any contact numbers or support services generally that they can get in touch with um, that might be able to provide maybe some social or emotional support for the nurse or midwife that's been through the experience of kind of connecting with someone that's, that's experiencing some signs of family violence? Absolutely. Well, the first issue is um, who are the best services to contact when a woman that you're supporting um, you believe is experiencing violence uh, to get assistance for, for the woman. Uh, we know that um, the social workers who are, who are based in the hospitals are a really important source. So you may wish to refer the woman that you're supporting to the social worker in the hospital. 
The other is there are a lot of really fantastic local women's safety services. So each local health district will have a, a series of referral contacts or referral numbers for locally based services. There's also um, an Australian-wide service called Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia. They're a feminist uh, non-government organisation and they are sexual assault and family violence specialists. You can call them 24-7. Now, that's a really important phone number for you to have at the front of your mind. So I'm going to read it out and yeah, people right. may want to get their pens and papers out and write it down. Um, but you can call Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia on 1-800-943-539. Now, that phone number is going to be really important because Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia are a really fantastic referral service uh, for the women that you're supporting, but also they can provide debriefing support to your members. So if your members are supporting women who they believe are experiencing family violence, that in itself can be an incredibly confronting um, issue for your member to be dealing with. So contact, contacting the experts at Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia is a free service um, where all of your members will be able to seek that debriefing advice and support. So they'll be able to reassure you about how you've handled the situation. They'll be able to give you some advice and make sure that your health and safety is protected as well. Thank you. I think it's one of those really tricky things because um, generally most of the local health districts do a really good job of informing our members about a lot of these services, but some of it is dependent upon the specialty that you're in. And in some of the specialties our members are in, it isn't really the norm. So when you do come across kind of a situation that's not so familiar or you're not as um, educated in, you know, where to access different bits of information, it can be a bit of a challenge. So I think um, wherever we can help to provide some some of those sort of assistances is helpful. Um, so hopefully there are some uh, union resources that the ASU have developed. Mm -hmm. um, so these were developed uh, with and by our members who work in frontline family violence services, and they're uh, developed from a union perspective to support union uh, officials, union organisers, but also union delegates and workers in their workplace. And those resources are free and available on the ASU website. So if any of your members would like to visit www.asumembers.org.au, there are two resources in particular there which your members might find really useful. The first is a workplace guide to identifying and responding to family violence. Uh, that also includes um, a lot of the referrals to services that we've been talking about. Great. Um, also specialist services, LGBTIQ services, um, First Nation services, uh, and, and local and regional services, but also it provides some um, tips and advice about, again, those red flags that you might be looking for amongst your colleagues and how best to approach the conversation and respond in that situation. The other thing that we've seen is uh, since COVID has been on our shores for the last two years is an increase in the number of workers who are working from home. And what we know is uh, your work is no longer safe if your home isn't safe. So we've also developed a guide which is specific about dealing with the risk of um, workplace violence when it's family violence in a work from home situation. And that guide is also available on our website. And a quick plug there, uh, last week um, that resource was recognised with the Safe Work New South Wales Award. So um, it's a very sound piece of um, support, supportive material that we're very happy for all of your members to be able to access. Excellent. Thank you. We'll pop details to that in the show notes as well, if anyone's interested. Um, so Natalie, can you tell us a bit about the campaign that's up and coming across the union movement? We've all been campaigning really heavily for um, 
paid domestic violence leave and we've got a pretty big kind of significant action that we're we're building towards would you talk to us a bit about that well firstly i'd like to acknowledge the incredible work of ludo mcferrin and the women at the domestic violence clearinghouse um, that's where the idea, the whole concept of paid family violence leave came from. Now, these women are incredible and they were charged with looking at the complexity of family violence and the complexity of the system that women need to navigate when they're experiencing family violence. And what they identified is that one of the areas um, that the linchpin where all of this can come unstuck is if the workplace isn't supportive. Because if a woman needs to make a decision between accessing safety planning services, um, accessing women's services and being able to leave violence against potentially losing their employment if they don't have paid leave to be able to um, undertake all of those uh, appointments, then that greatly undermines a woman's ability to leave violence and to establish herself safely in the community. So if I can just take a moment to really acknowledge the incredible pioneering work of, of Ludo um, and all of the women at the Domestic Violence Clearinghouse uh, who created the whole concept of paid family violence leave which we were first able to achieve through an enterprise agreement back in 2010. Wow. Over the last 11 years, the union movement have been working incredibly hard to achieve paid family violence leave right across the board. So we've been campaigning to have it included in enterprise agreements, but also really importantly, we're campaigning for legislative change to ensure that paid family violence leave becomes a national employment standard, because quite simply, a woman's right to safety should not be dependent on who her employer is. Yeah. Now, because of this excellent work, and I really want to acknowledge your union um, and a lot of the, the leading work and, and huge participation that your union has um, undertaken in this campaign, we now know that one in three workers in Australia has access to paid family violence leave. That's a pretty remarkable achievement. That still means that two out of three women in Australia don't have the entitlement. So that's what the campaign is all about. We have to ensure that every single worker, regardless of their employment status, regardless of who their employer is, has this important leave entitlement. As you said in your opening, Shay, about the rates of um, women experiencing family violence in Australia, when we translate that to the workforce, we know that 800,000 women in the Australian workforce are currently experiencing or living with the trauma of family violence. So it's really essential that workplaces play their role in primary prevention because we're talking about family violence, we're talking about family violence not being acceptable, we're telling women that we see them, that we believe them, that we're here to support them, and that we are also then putting our money where our mouth is and supporting women with paid time off to be able to um, put safety plans in place. So that's what the We Won't Wait campaign is all about. It's called We Won't Wait because women can't wait. What can you do to be involved in the campaign? Well, firstly, um, talking about the campaign in your workplace, organising local workplace activities around the 16 days of activism is fantastic. We know that the 25th of November is the International Day for the Eradication of Violence Against Women. So let's mark that day with more than just a mini quiche, but with uh, the trademark activism of the Australian Union movement. Now, there's some great campaign resources that are now available on the ACTU website. So your members can visit um, australiaunions.org.au slash campaign slash we won't wait. And there are workplace kits for um, hosting conversations and, and meetings in your workplace, but importantly, calling upon our employers to stand with us in this campaign. And that can take two forms. Number one, introducing paid family violence leave directly in your workplace. The second is being outspoken, 
to ensure that we have legislative change to ensure that every worker has paid family violence leave. So if your members' employers are currently um, passing on paid family violence leave to their workers, that's a great start. We should acknowledge that. But now we really need those employers to stand with us in our calls for legislative change. We'll pop all the details for that into the show notes um, as well so that people can hop on that website and grab some of the campaigning material. And also the association will be um, involved in its own specific nurses and midwives activity um, in part of the 16 days of action. So um, keep your eyes peeled on your emails because we're popping out details for that um, to give you some updates about how you can get really involved in the particular tactic that will be um, rolling out shortly. So watch this space. Um, our internal women's committee are working, beavering away on it, which um, I think is really exciting. So um, we'll see how that goes. Um, so look, I'm gonna take a bit of a change of pace here. Uh, I'm really keen to hear a bit, a bit about your experience um, as a woman in a leadership position through the union. You spoke earlier about kind of that um, intimate connection between kind of unionist and feminist. And I think that's a really interesting um, perspective and one that I really share, but also there's not a lot of other kind of young female women in the union movement. <clears throat> so I'm curious to understand what's your experience been like? How has it been kind of up and coming um, in a senior leadership position in a union in New South Wales? Well, I really want to acknowledge how many women now hold leadership positions in the union movement. We have incredible trailblazers who've come before us, like Jenny George and, and Sally McManus, um, who, of course, is my predecessor at the ASU. And I don't think we can talk about what we need to do for women now and for women of tomorrow without acknowledging the women who've come before us to really trailblaze and, and to pave the way for women like me and, and you, Shay, to step into the positions that we hold. Um, my experience of being a woman in a leadership position, I remember I was elected uh, as secretary back in 2015 and I would go along to meetings and I was one of the only women in the room. And I do think it's important to always talk about being a feminist and talk about our feminist perspective and normalising that conversation in rooms where it hasn't necessarily always been normalised. And I do want to acknowledge that um, my sisters and brothers have always been incredibly embracing and supportive of me in doing so. Um, Audre Lorde, there's a quote from Audre Lorde which really resonates with me. Audre Lorde said, I will never be free as long as any of my sisters is unfree, even though her shackles may be very different from my own. And I always have that in my mind. And I think that it's important that we are making our workplaces, our union movement, our society more fair, more equitable um, and safer for women. But we have to ensure, and we all have a responsibility to ensure that no woman is ever left behind. My personal experience has been um, one that I would consider quite joyous. Um, I love that uh, I've always been met with um, great respect and dignity when I do speak up and say, as a feminist, I believe this. And I would say to women who are coming into these roles now and into the future, where there are barriers to participation, break them down 
and break them down by, by calling out what we want and what we need to participate. When a meeting is scheduled at a time that doesn't work for women, it doesn't work for women with caring responsibilities, it's clashing with school pickup and drop off, then that is just as important. That is just as relevant as, oh, it clashes with another work meeting that I have. And so it's really important to say, actually, that time doesn't work. And that, that time is actually a barrier to women's participation. So let's change it. Um, I know that's a trivial matter about the timing of meetings, but we, we need to be where decisions are made because those decisions impact on us. They impact on all of our sisters. And, and so, it's the trivial things, I think, that, um, you know, build the system that often doesn't work for us. <laughs> so while it might seem like a trivial thing when we're constantly confronted with those barriers um, over and over, I think those are the structures that ultimately prevent participation. That's absolutely right. And um, organising, it's what women do. Yeah. Like talk to each other and say to yourself, I'm going to be a woman who will always amplify the voice of my sisters. So even if it's not your personal issue, like even if personally it doesn't impact you, if it's impacting one of your sister comrades, then echo that concern, echo that voice. Um, if another woman in the room is saying, I can't participate in this because, then that's really important that we all take on that and that we amplify one another's voice so that we can affect change. And personally, my experience has been we have been able to affect change. We have been able to make more inclusive spaces. Mostly it's not a, um, the fact a space isn't inclusive is not necessarily by design. Mm. And so when you do speak up about it, when you do propose a, a, a different um, opportunity or a different solution, that will generally be embraced. Um, so don't be backward in coming forward and always amplify each other's voice. I think that's really good advice. And I think it's transferable um, really in all settings. You know, I would say my experience has been really similar and, you know, working in a female dominated industry, a lot of the, um, you know, challenges that female leaders face haven't been my experience. But the one thing I reflect on really kind of um, from our professions of nurses and midwives is even though we're a female dominated industry, that's not reflected through our leadership positions. We actually have a much higher higher proportion of male leaders um, by, you know, in comparison to the number of females in our workforce, which still tells me there's work to be done, right? Because it's not reflective of actually what the workforce looks like. So I think a lot of what you're talking about really is transferable um, about how we start to break down some of those just day-to-day -day challenges um, because we want to see a more fair and equitable sort of workplace because that reflects our society, right? That's right. And it makes us better. We make better decisions when we are representing the view of, like, let's be frank, um, the majority of union members are women. Yeah. So if we are not being reflective of women um, and spaces that embrace women and spaces that women can take control of, um, then we're not going to be doing a particularly great job. Yeah. The other thing I'd say is um, often we talk about, oh, this, the, the, we don't have any women to hold this particular position. Don't force women to be a square peg in a round hole. Don't say, okay, well, you have to adjust to fit that position. Change the position. Change the position and say, well, actually, we've got incredible, fierce, fearless women um, in our ranks. What do we need to do to make the position one that women are able to and want to hold? and do the hard work and make it change. 
Absolutely. And it's incredible. I think the loyalty that that brings through for the work that we do and when you provide people with opportunities that they may not have had otherwise, you know, you get 10 times, you know, better quality out of them anyway. They, they want to come to work. They are so passionate about what they do. You know, it really, it just drives me crazy that we have to justify that to employers sometimes because it seems like it's just so obvious. And I think that um, often when we're looking at things like job application processes and we say these are the essential criteria, uh, I know of a lot of men who will quite happily look at that and go, I can do 20% of that essential <laughs> criteria. I'm submitting my application as we speak. Yeah. And I know a lot of women who are incredibly competent yeah. and who do the jobs brilliantly and they'll look at that criteria and they'll find one thing and they'll think, mm, I don't know, have I really done that? Um, that means we should actually be reaching out and yeah. finding women and um, encouraging and saying, no, 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 we're, we're going to change how we approach this and we're going to look at transferable skills and we're going to look at the other skill sets that you bring to the role. Um, the other thing that I'll say is always reach out and encourage each other. Sometimes you feel like, oh, I don't want to be a bit of a fangirl. Like I don't want to contact someone after I've been in a meeting with them and be like, you were great um, <laughs> because, oh, that's terribly embarrassing. They might think, oh, hey, Natalie, you, you're a crazy person. Um, but that can really make the difference for women feeling supported, encouraged and appreciated. And that can make the difference in women going, I'm going to um, take on the next challenge. I'm going to take on the next role. And so, you know, sisters, take the time to maybe send that little email or that text message. Or next time you're walking into a room, um, you know, with, with your sister comrade, lean over and say, hey, you know, when you did this the other week, that was awesome. I was, you know, cheering for you on the inside. Um, That's really great advice. Yeah, let women know that what they bring is appreciated. Mm, that's excellent. Thank you. I think those are really great tips. Um, and really, at the end of the day, we've just got to keep on keeping on, don't we? Because that's ultimately how you break down all of those structures. You just get up and you just keep pushing ahead. And I think the collective kind of approach that all of us take in terms of shouting loud and proudly that you can be a feminist and you can do this work and it can be done um, is always helpful for the next generation much like it was for us so I'm really grateful for your kind of input on that I think it's really wise words now for a quick word about the NSWNMA's member advantage program did you know that as a member of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association you can save thousands of dollars a year through our member advantage program your union membership gives you access to discounts for everything from groceries, white goods from the good guys, holidays, and even a new car. You can access it through your member central portal. And if you're not yet a member, join today by going to nswnma.asn.au to enjoy the benefits straight away. That's it for the episode of The Shift with Shay today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Natalie and I look forward to seeing you in a fortnight with more stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. And if you haven't done so yet, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. 